Welcome to The Sages Among Us. What makes a community great? Most importantly, it's the people who live and work there and are engaged in community life. The Sages Among Us focuses on those people, what they do and why they do it, and celebrates the leadership, time, and energy they bring to making a positive difference for all of us. And indeed, welcome to The Sages Among Us. I'm Keith Porter in the studio, and my guest today by phone is Anita Wald-Tuttle, as Claudio just told us a few moments ago. And she is a community activist who may hold the record for the number of organizations she's worked with and supported in our community. So, Anita, welcome to the hot seat on The Sages Among Us. Thank you, Keith. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, it's wonderful to have you here. You have such an interesting story. We're going to be really challenged to talk about it all in 30 30 minutes, but we'll do the best we can. Uh, Let me share a little bit of your background first with our audience, and then we'll get into a lot of detail about your life and your involvement in our community. Uh, I know you, you grew up in Illinois and Wisconsin and Iowa during the Depression era when you were a child. Uh, had some interesting life experiences because of that. Um, you ended up getting a degree in home economics with a specialty in applied arts. You uh, met your first husband uh, when you were working as an occupational therapist. You also got a degree in occupational therapy, and he was uh, someone who had spent time in a German POW camp. Then you and he had four children. And then eventually, uh, you came to California with your second husband, uh, and eventually to Nevada County in 1989, where you have been involved, as I said, with as many community causes and projects and organizations as a list as long as my arm, I think. And you co-founded the Unitarian Unitarian Universalist Church of the Mountains. Is that an accurate uh, thumbnail sketch of your life, Anita? That's a pretty quick one, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, you've had a long life, so you've had a lot of involvement in a lot of things. So this show is about you and your work and how you contribute to our community, and you've done a whole lot of that. Uh, You help guide its growth and development in so many ways. But let's start by learning a little bit more about you. As I mentioned, you were born in—well, I didn't say exactly, but you were born in Evanston, Illinois, prior to the Great Depression— and you saw its impact during your childhood. Your father was a civil engineer, had a really good job with, uh, see if I get this right, Chicago, Milwaukee, St. Paul, and Pacific Railroad. <laughs> and when he, when he lost that job because of the Depression, he ended up uh, delivering butter and eggs and cheese and chickens from a wagon around the neighborhood. My goodness, what, what a story. What, what are your memories of that time? Well, I don't have a lot of memories of that time for the, for the first five years or so that I lived there. Uh, I remember strange things like being awakened one night by an awful sound and I cried out and my parents rushed in to see what was wrong and it turned out to be an owl that had sat uh, sat in the tree outside my bedroom window and he was hooting and I'd never heard something like that and I never seen anything like that. I could just see this big shadow out the window and that scared the heck out of me. That'd be scary (laughs) for a little kid. was yeah. it there's a there's a, 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 a sorry I'm, I'm talking our, over you there i'll let you finish the story you go ahead the other thing was our apartment building was right next to the elevated which was the cm st p and p uh, strip of railroad that was going to go from milwaukee to chicago and um since we were right next to it 
the elevated had steep banks that were covered with rubble, rock rubble. And when the trains went by, they rattled everything, and the stones came down and hit the side of the building and the sidewalk that was down there. And I can remember being awakened every once in a while at night by the trains going through. So that, that was some of my memories. The other thing was there was a wonderful Chicago station that had wonderful radio radio programs of music and I can remember belly flopping on the living room floor and listening to that uh, night after night because I really love that music did that did that create did that create in you a kind of a lifelong interest and love of music oh absolutely and my father loved it too so we shared that pleasure what would you say are the major influences from your parents how did they impact your life Well, I know they were scrupulously honest, and they taught me that honesty is the best policy. And so uh, I followed that all my life as best I can. But uh, they also taught me how you can make do with little, because during the Depression, there wasn't much extra money around. And I can remember my mother wearing the same wool winter coat for year after year after year, and later confessing how many years she had worn that coat, just so she would be able to buy material to make plaid skirts and things like that for me when I was going to school later on. So things like that really stuck, along with the fact that she baked everything from scratch, made everything, cooked everything, and canned all summer long so that we would have food throughout the winter and didn't have to go to the store that much. Well, it it sounds as though you must have felt loved and appreciated as a child. Well, yes and no. <laughs> Some of both, huh? When I was when I was born, the the philosophy was that you don't pick up a child more than you have to to feed them, to change them, and so forth, and you definitely don't cuddle them because you'll spoil them. And so that's the treatment I got for the first five years of my life. And then when my brother was born five years later. Things had changed, and then it was you pick them up, you cuddle them, you love them. Uh, They need that skin sensation, and you can't spoil them. So it was very difficult for me to see this going on with my brother when I hadn't gotten that kind of treatment. Um, I can understand that. I say yes or no. Yeah, no, it's very understandable. Well, I know your family moved to Ames, Iowa. Your father did find work eventually with the Iowa Highway Commission, and he became actually an instructor at Iowa State College. And that that allowed you to attend school there, and you were able to study um, home economics. You got a degree in applied arts. And and tell us, why did you choose to study art? Well, art was one thing that I loved all the way through my life. And though the the art (laughs) selections back there weren't very, very numerous, Uh, We had hectograph designs that were given to us at Valentine's Day and May Day and Easter and so forth. And the only difference was what colors you choose and how you did the design. Otherwise, everybody was working on the same same pattern. So you had to you had to stimulating. You had to color within the lines, then, huh? Oh yeah, absolutely. (laughs) So that every course that I took, there somehow there there was art that was involved with it. And so I used that to come up with my own ideas of what art should be. And it ended up being that I was not a two-dimensional artist. I was a three-dimensional artist. So I did a lot of things with dolls and things like that. And that meant that I didn't go to the art school, the the, uh, fine art school in Iowa City. 
And that also was the fact that college professors weren't paid very much in those days. And so I couldn't afford to go away to school. And so I stayed at home for all of my college years. And home economics had a department called applied art, which meant you did your art in relation to things that you would use in a typical home, whether it was learning weaving so you could do placemats, whether you were doing block printing on something like a curtain or uh, something, napkins. Uh, the woodworking were things like napkin rings or special items that you would use in the kitchen. Um, everything, clay, metal work, all was related to the house. And so that's the kind of training I got. Oh, interesting. Not the fine arts, but the applied arts. Well, and yeah. you, but you did end up uh, hearing about and being able to switch and end up uh, to get a degree, actually, in occupational therapy from the Milwaukee Downer College. Um, and that you, you helped pay your way through that degree process, I think, by living with wealthy families, helping with child care. But tell us, how did you, you come to uh, be directed into occupational therapy and get a degree in that? Well, when I finished college, because I lived at home, uh, I could go to school all year long. I could go to the summer school and so forth. So instead of graduating in June, I graduated the December before June, worked at the college, found out that there was a job for a creative artist who liked metalwork, which I loved, in a Milwaukee uh, area camp and signed up for that for the summer. And when we got near the end of the summer, she, the lady in charge asked me, uh, what I was going to be doing now. And I said, well, I don't know. I've got a degree, but I don't want to go home and just sit on my parents' step. I had sent out applications to two different places. Uh, one of them was a Goodyear rubber company, which uh, told me that my work there would be designing patterns for linoleum, <laughs> which didn't sound terribly exciting. Yeah. And then the other one was Hallmark Cards. And, of course, Hallmark Cards at that time we're just doing the two-dimensional art kinds of work, watercolors and painting and things like that. And I got a, I got the most wonderful, sweet, rejecting letter from Hallmark Cards. I think I kept a copy of it for years. Uh, they, they liked the designs, the things that I, the pictures of things that I had made. Uh, they they liked the things I did and how I did it, but regrettably. That was not the kind of work that they were doing. They didn't do anything in three dimensions. And so they, they wished me well, but they could not offer me a job at Hallmark Cards. Oh, shucks. Now, I, I had sent a letter out to the um, uh, <laughs> East Orange, New Jersey, to the American Handicrafts Company, who were the ones that supplied a lot of things like the clay, leather, uh, wood, possibly, balsa wood, uh, various kinds of tools that you would work in three-dimensional art with. And they were excited. They said, oh, you're just the person we're looking for. We uh, are find, trying to find somebody who will to, uh, use our products and make samples, and then we'll photograph them, and we're talking about making a really good full-color catalog. And then we would send you around the country to all the major stores that we have in New York, Dallas, Texas, San Francisco, California, Minneapolis, Minnesota, you know, all the, all the big places, and have you in, our, in a store for a weekend demonstrating the products and pushing our name for people to order things so that they could do those things at home. 
They said that the problem is that right now we're in a recession and the orders are from management that we cannot hire anybody new until somebody quits or something else happens and we'd have an opening for you. But stay tuned and we'll get back to you as soon as we can. So with that, I went off for a summer uh, at a summer camp for girls and did my teaching. And it was there that I met the director of our particular group who said, well, what are you going to do? And I said, I don't know. And she said, well, uh, what do you want to do? And I said, well, I wanted to work with arts and crafts and I want to work with a variety of people. And she said, well, what about occupational therapy? And I said, what's that? Uh-huh. Nobody had ever mentioned yeah. it. I knew nothing about it. No, no uh, people at the college had mentioned this as a possibility. And uh, the, the uh, camp director said, in addition, there are two schools here in, in Wisconsin. One is in the capital, Madison, Wisconsin, and that uh, they're middle-income families and um, a lot of uh, governmental stuff that goes on there. Uh, the other school is over on the edge of Lake Michigan, and it's a school just for girls, so you wouldn't have any boys around. And I thought to myself, I've already had that. I don't need any more. So uh, I decided that I should go and check into that, and I said, well, hop a bus and go in and talk to them. And what I heard sounded good. So they sent away for my, my uh, what do you call it, my credentials, and got it back before I left the camp in the summer and found out that I could, I could, I could apply there and I could take medical things, uh, all of kinesiology and psychology and stuff that I hadn't got in an applied art curriculum, and that I would have about a year and a half of academic work and then a year of clinical training out in, out in, the, out in the wild. Wow. And so I, I signed up for that. Okay. Well, now, let me let me just Anita. Let me just interject uh, so people know who we are. I'm Keith Porter in the studio. My guest today is Anita Wald Tuttle, and she's a community activist who's hold the records probably for the number of organizations she's worked with and supported in our community. And we're talking about her history at this point and her uh, degree in occupational therapy, which came about. And and from there, you worked at the Veterans Hospital in Chicago and met uh, this gentleman who became your husband and the father of your kids, who was a World War II German POW camp survivor, right? That's right. That's the way it went. I went went and got my degree in occupational therapy, even though two weeks after I signed up for my classes and everything, I got the letter from the uh, craft company who wanted to hire me. So that was a decision I made. And I stayed with it. And while I was at the school, I did live with various families. I learned a lot about that, living in three different families with three different sets of problems. But uh, it helped to make me realize how varied people are and how open to change you can be when, when forced to it. Yeah. I, uh, yeah, I, I had my first real job at the Veterans Hospital outside of Chicago, Heinz Veterans Hospital. And that's where I met Ross, who was a physical therapist. And um, we were working on a cardiac ward with little old men who had had a heart attack and didn't have anything better to do than to sit in bed and postulate on 
what would happen if we put these two people together, the <laughs> occupational therapist and the physical therapist? Matchmaking. So they kept throwing us at each other. And that's, they were matchmaking, that's for sure. And okay. that's what happened. Well, let's um, let's take a little fast forward in your life because we want to get you into Northern California and Nevada County in particular and talk about your work here. Um, but I know that uh, you ultimately in the se- in the 70s, you, you separated from Russ and you, you ended up coming to California with Sam Wald, who was uh, your second husband. And uh, you lived in Southern California while, for a while and then came to Nevada County, I believe, in 1989. Is that about right? And uh, was there was there. Was there culture shock for you in coming from the Midwest to California and then up to Nevada County? Oh, it was a wonderful shock. Oh, I loved it here. I loved the weather, and it was perfect. And everything went very well for us. We found our, our niche down in San Diego and did a lot of things, got involved with a lot of organizations there. And it was went very, very well until... Sam had a TIA, and they put him on aspirin, and an aspirin, a regular aspirin every day. A year and a half later, he had a major hemorrhage, and uh, with that stroke, he went into two years of decline, and that meant that we had to change plans and not stay there. I had a daughter who lived up in Nevada City who was working on a new project, and she said she needed my help. So I moved up with Sam, and uh, he died a week later. And for the next 28 years, I was working with Tanglewood Forest Gallery and my daughter and magical fairies and elves and gnomes and creatures, dolls that we made. And that kept me pretty busy. Sounds like a nice environment to be part of. Um, During... During all of your adult life and your geographical relocations, you'd been involved with the Unitarian Universalist Church as a participant, a leader, an administrator in a couple of cases, I think. Uh, When you arrived in Nevada County, you found the closest congregation was in Auburn, and so you joined the board of that church in 1993, and tell us what happened next. Well, um, I found out when you become the head of something, a lot of records become available to you, and I found out how many people lived up here in this in this area that were sending their money down to support a liberal voice in the foothills, but never came down because they didn't want to drive 49 on a Sunday morning. So as such, um, I kept up with it there. And then uh, I went to the board later when I found out this fact about the people up here and said, I thought that we really ought to do something for them because... They had been so loyal, and couldn't we bring a program up, one that we had homegrown down there, and bring it up once a month up here? And the minister that we had at that time said no. In fact, she said no three times. But I did a little research and found out that new people were coming to that church from the east side of Sacramento, and nobody was coming down from here. So finally, the board overrode the minister and said, no, we think we should do something up there. And so in January of 93, we met in our living room, Bill and my uh, living room. Now, in the meantime, and, uh, you, in the meantime you, had, you had met Bill Tuttle, right? Uh, and this is the Bill you're talking about right. after, after Sam had passed away, right? Yeah, he was, he was part of the Auburn congregation. And a year after my Sam died, his wife died. So we were part of uh, a support group that was a, par- 
partnerless and got to know each other and found out that he loved the music that I liked. And he wanted to go to theater and he wanted to go to music in the mountains and all the things I dearly had appreciated during the years. So we became um, partners in a way and eventually then ended up marrying. Sounds like a match made in heaven. Um, I had a very good life with him. He was a good husband. Yes. Now, I heard a rumor that he was once a broadcaster, a DJ on KVMR here. Is that accurate? Oh, absolutely. Uh-huh. <laughs> he, he, he went over 60, sunny side up, the good things about growing older. Okay. And he found out that I had worked at the college radio station when I was back in Ames, Iowa. And so he said, can I interview you? And I said, well, I don't know that I'd be very interesting. He said, well, I'd just like to try it. So I came on with him, and we bantered back and forth and played some of the music that I had loved back there, which he also loved. And uh, after the show, he said, well, could you come back again next week? And so I was on for a while, and and he said, "I, I really would like to have you join me on the program. And I said, well, that sounds like kind of a good idea. It's kind of fun. So we did it for about 15 years. All right. Well, let me just say that's great. (laughs) Let me say again, uh, I'm Keith Porter in the studio. My guest today is Anita Wall-Tuttle by phone. She's home uh, talking with us about her community activism and uh, all the number of organizations and so forth she's worked with and supported in the community. And we're about to get into all of that um, in terms of what's happened right here. But I know in founding the the church in Grass Valley, the Unitarian Universalist Church of the Mountains, uh, it it moved into eventually the vacant former mortuary building on church. Street it used to be the Hooper and Weaver Mortuary years ago, and um, and that was that is now the home of the congregation, right? That's correct. Uh, it, uh, we we started out here when when we first did our first meetings. We met in the Magic Theater, and then we moved over to the Madeline Helling room meeting room, and then we moved to the Nevada City uh, Elementary School in their gymnasium. And then from there, we moved to Trinity Episcopal in the afternoon. And then one of our members who lived up on Wall Street said, you know, there's a thick, I think there's a small chapel down on the corner that I pass every time I walked out of the middle of the city. And we should check it out. And we did. And we fell in love with it. And we moved in and we did the um, things we needed to do to make it acceptable for people with disabilities. And in 2000, we actually bought the building, and I happened to be <laughs> the board of uh, the chair of the board of directors at that time. So that was a that was a fun achievement. Well, it's a it's a it's a wonderful space now. I know I've been in it numerous times, and it's a it's a it's a great spot and a great space that you've made there. And you actually lived in an apartment uh, upstairs in the building after Bill's death for a bit, right? Yeah, the the mortician had his apartment upstairs, which was really delightful, and so they turned that into a living space for me when I when Bill died and I had to move out of his house, which has been in the trust for his children. Right. So I stayed there for about almost seven years as the caretaker and the office person and the newsletter person and the renter of the building person, and I ended up with a lot of lot of responsibilities there, but it was fun to help grow it because of all the things I had learned and all the churches I had been through in my life, uh, they all came to fruition in this one. It's a great, 
That's a great feeling when that happens. So, Anita, in addition to that, your list of community involvements, that's literally as long as my arm, includes many, including the International Order of Odd Fellows, Interfaith Food Ministry, Grandmothers for Peace, in-home support services, which became Connecting Point, Sierra Stages, Hospitality House, many others. What is it that motivates you to do so much in this community? Well, when there's a need, then I feel, okay, there's got to be some solutions. What can we do? And who's already doing it? Or if they aren't doing it, who can we recruit to make a group and make something happen? And so it's kind of a caregiving thing. And I, when I look back, I figure most of the things I did in my life were, were caregiving kind of things, from babysitting as a teenager through working with occupational therapy with handicapped people to Girl Scouts for 25 years, being uh, leaders and helping girls grow and mature. Um, everything had a little something that maybe I could add something to. And so that's been my motivation, and that's what carries me on. And then I'll get a call and somebody will say, you know, I've got this idea for, and I thought of you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, you, you certainly have answered that call numerous times, I'm sure. So uh, oh, yeah. let, let me ask you a very personal question, if you don't mind. Is there an accomplishment or a role in your life that you're especially pleased with or, or proud of? Well, one thing, shortly after I moved up to Grass Valley, my daughter had joined a group of people who felt that we needed a community center. And um, they started looking around and found a, a building that had been originally an auto repair place and lately had been a hair, hair salon. And they decided to take it over and turn it into a building that we could have art and music and theater in. And my daughter said, and mom, you belong on that. I, I, I recommended you to be on the first board. And I said, well, it sounds like a fun sort of thing. Let's see what we could make of that. And so that's how the Center for the Arts came to be. And I was on the first board, and I think I stayed on for about seven years or so. And it's uh, now, helping to grow that yeah. into what it is today. And it's now been remodeled into a very, very nice facility in downtown Grass Valley. Oh. Oh, it is beautiful. I went in one day and got a personal tour of it, and it's just, oh, could never, you could <laughs> never imagine that what we adopted as a building on the main street could turn into such a wonderful edifice. Yeah. Well, let me, let me ask you the converse question then. I asked you what you were proud of or, or that made uh, you were really pleased about. Anything in your life that you'd care to share about that you, in retrospect you'd do differently if you could do it all over again? Well, I think I would go back to that point that summer when um, I couldn't find a job and I went into occupational therapy. If I had waited that two weeks, you know, before making a choice and had taken the other job out in East Orange, New Jersey, traveling around the country, flying around and representing a, a, a large corporation, uh, my life would have been so very, very different. And I wouldn't have had four children who are the love of my life. And, um, you know, who knows what would have happened to me then. So that would be an interesting decision point that would be 
interesting to look into. <laughs> yeah, all right. So, so what, what what would have happened if? Yeah, interesting to speculate. Yeah. Well, my very last yeah. my very last question, since we're very close on time, if a genie in a bottle granted you one wish to improve our community today, what would that be? What would your wish be? Uh, I I thought about that, and I think there are some things that are happening that may make it happen. Uh, I'm really distressed when I see so many homeless people with no place to go, nothing to do, uh, living on the street, living under bridges, lighting fires in the wrong places and things like that. And I would like to see an area that could be developed into a community of what they call tiny houses. I've been in some of these tiny houses, and it's amazing how how compact and yet how uh, complete they can be. And they would give a person their own home and possibly a little better sense of taking care of themselves as well as their home. Okay. And maybe having some garden area nearby that they could share in uh, growing some of their own food. It's a great. It's I a, would like to see a neighbor. That's a great vision. Tiny yeah. ho- tiny houses with some gardening and some space for folks. That's great. Right. Well, Anita, and I think there's some people around who are doing that. Yeah. They're trying to do that. Well, we have run out of time, and I want to thank you, Anita, very much. Uh, I'm Keith Porter. My guest today has been Anita Wald-Tuttle, a community activist in so many ways in our community, co-founder, leader, really, of establishing the Unitarian Universalist Church of the Mountains in Grass Valley. Thank you, Anita, for all you've done in the community and for sharing uh, a bit of your life today. We only scratched the surface, but uh, at least it's an interesting surface that we scratched. So thank you for joining us. (laughs) 